I did the same thing I did before with better results. <laughs> 1.1 gigawatts. <laughs> well, Steve, I appreciate you praying uh, about that thing this weekend. I tell you, the divisiveness of everything, you know? Uh, so, who knows how God can be glorified, but he will be. But, well, I'm, I'm not wearing this in honor of Bud or Coors or anybody else. Just FYI, let's get that out. Nobody paid me to wear this shirt. Uh, we are now, we're at the end of our series that we've called One-on-One. We've been about 10 weeks in that where Jesus, we've been watching him interact and have these encounters with individuals through the scripture. It's been fun to see that. I've, I've personally learned a lot. I'm kind of, honestly, I'm kind of bummed to get to the end of it. I uh, look forward to some kind of new thing uh, with that theme again in the future. We're going to turn to Acts beginning next week. And if you were here last fall, we studied Acts and we went through the first uh, about eight chapters. And that's, the, that's where we see the beginning of the church and things just get ramped up and these, these guys that were once afraid are now out there just preaching and teaching and winning people to Christ and the church is growing under persecution that begins about this chapter that we're going to start. Everything is just dynamic and it's exciting. And I think uh, the, the reason that we stopped at chapter 8 was that that's where it turns and focuses more on the ministry of Paul. And so we're going to pick it up there and see the last few chapters and how Paul carries the gospel on and, and works in his missionary ventures to spread the church all over the place. So it's exciting. I've, I've been wondering, what um, when we look at what happens in, in this part of the, of the scripture and Paul going to these different towns, and then we read the New Testament, I wonder which town that Crested Butte most resembles, that a New Testament letter would be most likely written to, you know? Um, so I'm interested to see. I don't know, but if you have an idea, I'd love to hear it because I think we should maybe read it and study it together because uh, I feel like we live in a real first century sort of town in a lot of ways, uh, a lot of similarities. So just looking back real briefly, I wanted just to remind you of who we, who we met and who Jesus met that we talked, to, talked about through the series. We, we, talked with Matt, we talked about Matthew. You know, Jesus just shows up says, follow me in, at work. And Matthew gets up, leaves his desk, and he's with Jesus. And then another one we talked about was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. So he tries to find a way, climbs up in the tree. Jesus comes by, stops, interrupts everything, and changes Zacchaeus' life right there. We looked at the scholar of the law. And he comes to Jesus and he says, how, how am I to be saved? What else do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus, in, in that conversation, tells the parable of the, uh, uh, the Good Samaritan. So we have this famous passage and this interaction he has with this guy. And then what I have, what I like to call the prodigal daughter, uh, is the one that we went to. She's the one who washes Jesus' feet with her hair at the Pharisee's dinner. She's behind him, and uh, Jesus forgives her and just confronts the Pharisee right there. Do you remember that whole setting? We talked about the woman at the well, where Jesus has a meeting with her in Samaria and uh, changes her life forever. Nicodemus, we talked about recently, 
He approaches Jesus at night, and he doesn't even ask a question, and then Jesus answers his question. And that's where we get John 3, 16, to, uh, that God so loved the world, he gave his only son. So really important stuff happening there. And two more, uh, one was Peter when he walks on the water, when Jesus comes out in the storm, and we see this miracle happen, and the disciples worship Jesus after that. And finally, we, we talked about Thomas, uh, who demanded a very specific proof uh, and would not believe unless he saw that, and Jesus provides that exact thing for him. So uh, through all of those interactions, I, I tried to look back and say, well, what were some major themes that were happening? What question can I ask that will help me and help us um, see it all from one, one more perspective before we stop. And the question that I landed on that I wanted to ask and I want to ask with you is, is, is what, was the, what was the result in the lives of the people who met Jesus? What happened to them? What did they do as a result of meeting Jesus? So I went back through and I, I saw all these different themes, several different things happened. It was different, obviously, in different scenarios, but there was there were a few things that struck out to me, stood out to me that I want to just bring out this morning. We're, gonna, we're only going to look at a couple of the stories to illustrate for the whole. But here are the three things that I saw happen that I wanted to share with you this morning. One is a response of belief. Another is a response of invitation. And thirdly, the last one is a response of worship. So belief and invitation and worship are three things that happen to these people after they come in contact with Christ, these one-on-one situations. And so here's what I want to throw out to you, and I I think uh, this is maybe on as a personal level as I can get. It's truly, it is my hope for this church, for the believers who are in here, that when, that we would be Um, like the best of these people who met Jesus. And that the response that we would have would be that we would truly believe and that we would invite and that we would worship. And all of those things are very active things. And you know, the thing about the church in general is, and the reason that people in our town and other towns aren't big on the church, one of them is hypocrisy, right? None of us, even in the church, we don't like hypocrisy. In other churches. Not ours. (laughs) And part of that is because believers just look like everybody else all the time. We're just limp believers. And I, I just, you know, a dream, I think, for our church, and I know it's in the heart of us who know Christ, is that we would be people who, when we recognize who Jesus is, and he meets us in this incredibly custom way for each one of us, that we would believe, it would be so powerful that we would invite, and we would worship. And those things would happen everywhere, not just in these walls on Sunday morning. Anyway, that's, that's where I hope we end up with all of this stuff, at least. So let's talk about belief for just a second. We've hit it several times as we've walked through this. And what was really interesting to me is when I went back and looked at every single story and even others of one-on-one interaction with Jesus, 
He always brings the hurdle of belief in him and who he is right up to the person that he's talking to. If you think about it, think about any of them. Uh, he, he brings that threshold right up to that person every time. And he interacts with him in a way that, that says, all right, this is who I am, or this is who God is. This is what's happening here. In the, the um, I don't remember, I don't know what the exact literary term is, but the problem in the story is belief. That's the thing that they have to get over, and Jesus brings it right up to each one of them in his own way, and in a way that meets with them. Think about it as we, as we talk about this. But just as a way of backing up a touch, I think it's important to see how he brings that up to them so that they move to that point of belief. Uh, one is the fact that he, is, he, he tailors every interaction to that exact person. He knows each one of them intimately. He knows about their struggles, their sin, their successes, their family, their relationships, all of that. And he comes in their work, every part of their life. And he comes up to them in a way that interacts with them. And I think if you look at your life and how God has interacted with you and how he has drawn you towards him, if indeed he has, then you would see these things that he has done specifically in your life to draw you. Let me, uh, I'll give you an example. The, uh, the woman at the well, I'll come back to her a couple times because it's such a, a powerful story. Uh, when, when Jesus comes to this woman, he knows her situation, right? He knows that she ha- is a person who has exhausted all the avenues to find joy in her life. And mostly for her, it's through relationships. She's tried to find hope. She's trying to find good things. And nothing has worked. In fact, she's given up on marrying the men that she has tried to find happiness with, right? And Jesus knows that when he comes to engage her. Listen to what he, well, so he knows that she is desperate. So listen to what he says. This is John 4. You can probably keep your finger in John 4. We'll return there a couple of times. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water at this well will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him or her will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In other words, I have something that can fill your soul forever. She's been searching and searching and searching. And he meets her and he says, this is what I have. And it's the exact metaphor that she needed Exactly. And she's desperate. And the result of that is that she believes. She crosses, he brings the threshold up. He says, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one right in front of you. I'm the Messiah. He says that straight up to her. And she's, she believes she steps over that threshold. She believes. And many of you have crossed that threshold yourself. And the way she says it is she says, please give me that water. <laughs> I'll take a drink of that. But there, there's another thing that he does that brings us to belief. And, and that is that he reveals that he knows all about us. Which is powerful. When someone believes in you, when someone comes and offers to you everything, knowing what you're really like. 
So in the case with her, the very next thing he says after she says, hey, I'll, I'll have a drink of that, is he says, I tell you what, go get your husband. And she says, well, I can't do that because I'm not married. And he goes, oh, I, I know. In, in that interaction, he reveals that he knows, like I said, all of her sorrows, her hurts, what she's been seeking after, everything. We, we all can understand what she was after, all of us, and how she tried to, to make that thing happen in her life. And Jesus says, I know. Nevertheless, I am offering you this water. I'm offering you myself. Now that's powerful. And he does it time and time again. And she believes. See, she, none of these people know that when Jesus says, I'm inviting you into this relationship with God, that it's on his back that they come in. None of them know that, but he knows it every time. So when he says, I know your sin, I know what's wrong, I know why you're hurting, I know why you, what you've chosen that's against my father, that's against who I am, every time. He's doing that in the context of him knowing the sacrifice he's going to make. And then, and then Thomas, think about Thomas for just a second. So here's another time where Jesus says, I know what you're thinking. Look at uh, John 20, a few chapters later, verse 27. Thomas gives his requirements of proof, and Jesus shows up in the room with the disciples a week after Thomas's request for proof. And he says to Thomas in verse 27, put your fingers here, see my hands, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus is telling him to his face, to Thomas's face, you know what? You followed me for years. You said you believed in me. You said you were my follower. You did all these things. And then as soon as it got tough, you said, I'm going to need all this proof. And Jesus gives it to him. This I know your things. I know, how you re- I know how you're rejecting me right now. I still come to you. I'm still offering relationship to you. And Thomas believes his statement, you know, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. Absolute confession of faith right there. The, the neat thing in all of these these things is only with Thomas does, does Jesus say, don't disbelieve, but believe. He really gives him a command. He says, this is what you got to do. You got to believe. But he still, in every case, leaves it on the person's, that own person's heart to make the decision. He never forces anyone to cross over that hurdle, to step over that threshold. But he comes to them in a very custom and personal way, reveals that he knows their hurts and their situation and still offers them relationship with God. So one thing is that there is belief. And when we come in contact, when you think through what Jesus has done to draw you towards him, I hope that that motivates us to see possibly even this result, not only to believe, but to invite. And the reason that the idea of inviting people to know Jesus is so important to me is because for most of my Christian life, to invite someone to know Christ was something that was really uncomfortable for me. Can anybody relate to that? Okay. Uh, it's not uncommon. Uh, it was, it was a f- just a few years ago that 
I had a chance to be taught and interact with some people that were really looking at a couple of the people that we have, in particular Matthew and the woman at the well. I'll share with you about them in a moment. But where watching them inspired me and changed everything about how I thought about inviting people to know Christ. Let's look at Matthew for a second. This is, uh, this is, in, chapter, this is in Luke chapter 5. And Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi, Matthew, sitting in a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. He just got up from work, followed Jesus right then. And Levi made a great feast at his house for Jesus. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table. Now, there's three parts of this uh, thing that, that Matthew does, and I love every one of them, and I want to just hit on them real quick with you. One is uh, food. He, the very first thing that Matthew does is he, in, he starts cooking. He has a barbecue. And there's a, a pastor named Bill Hybels in Chicago, and, and he has this thing he says, he says, one of the best ways to invite people to know Christ is to barbecue first. <laughs> and he gets that straight out of here. And I don't know how they barbecued back then. But if, you just, if you're ever wondering, how am I going to introduce my friend to Christ? Then the first thing you should think of is barbecue first. Especially here. I mean, it's just such an easy thing to invite someone to eat. Everyone is up for eating together. But here's the second thing he does. He invites his friends. Now, this is one thing that the Christians do. It's funny. I'm not sure why this is. We think that we need to uh, reach out to the most difficult person first like the person we've been praying for all our life or somebody on our street that's just really hard-nosed and a real pain. You know, there's just no way that something's going to happen very quickly with him. For some reason, we're thinking that that, that that's the place where we're going to be effective. But that's just not always the case. And we start out defeated because we're like, ah, this is never going to work. I don't know why we do that. In, but here's the, the cool thing. I, I mean, I would say, when you have a barbecue, invite your non-Christian friends. Now, I could be in other towns, and I could say, hey, Christians, invite your non-Christian friends, and I might get a blank stare. I don't know how Christians got to the point where they don't have non-Christian friends, but there's a problem right there. However, in our town, you have non-Christian friends. <laughs> Okay, there is no question they are around you. And, and here's the other thing. Uh, we, as Christians, we've decided that we have, to, um, we have to be successful and have an answer to every question. Where did that come from? Oh, we'll talk about that in a second. The third thing, uh, besides inviting your friends, is, and this, and this is really probably the critical part, is that you invite Jesus. 
to the dinner as well. And you wonder, you know, how, how do you do that? And that's the fun question. How do I invite Jesus to this party in an appropriate way for these people? Let's, Nancy and Oz, they love to have people over for dinner, hundreds of them at times, right? And strategically for the kingdom, they may sit and say, hey, we're going to invite so-and-so and so-and-so. How can we bring Jesus to this party? Now, the way I'm not an evangelist. People don't come to Christ around me. They just don't very often. So it's not a part of my big gift. It's just my, the joy I get to have in trying to introduce people to him. So what I would do is invite one of my friends who does that well in winningly and encouragingly. I would invite Jesus to the party by inviting another friend or a couple who can bring up stuff about Christ and it's like nobody cares. Nobody's offended. It's not weird. How many of y'all have, just feel so comfortable talking about Jesus right up in front anytime? There's one, yo girl, a couple of people. That's, good. that's fine because that's the way God made it. There are some people who are evangelists. So you might want to say, Lorray, I'm having a barbecue with my friends who don't know Christ. Can you come? And Lorray, I bet she would do it. <laughs> and she would get the conversation going. And you've, in, you've invited Christ into that scenario. Sit down and pray about it with your friends, your, 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 your spouse, your partner, whatever, whoever it is, in your barbecue and plan. I, I think it's just so cool. And all, the beautiful thing for Matthew was he just had to invite Jesus. <laughs> you know? <laughs> But you know what's so cool is I love that Jesus is, it says, we're reclining at the table. That's how they ate then, right? But you get this picture of them all just hanging out together. The Messiah and the worst possible people that could be imagined are sitting around together, eating, having the barbecue, right? And personally, I I don't think of people in our town as the worst possible people I could get together with. Just would enjoy hanging out with just about anybody here. Uh, one other thing about that, just because I want to throw it out to you, because um, I like having all these little tool belt items for communicating with people, inviting them, because I'll think about them. I'll think, okay, barbecue first, invite Jesus. Okay, okay you know, I just got to remember that stuff. One other one is along those lines of, you know, how we think we have to have the answers when they ask something really hard, we're going we're to fail, and we're going to fail Jesus and them if we don't have it? No. <laughs> well, people don't care what you think. Let's just be honest. They don't. They really don't, especially about spiritual things. They want to discover on their own, okay? And until they want you to tell them, you, you don't, you're not going to be very successful. I'm not going to be successful. So how do I help move them forward? I ask them questions. What is all this stuff about evolution? I, you know, I just can't understand how you could think that God could create everything at one time. Blah, 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 whatever it is. What about all the layers and this and that? You know, every, all these scientific things you might, even as a scientist, can't respond to. You're like, why do you ask? You ever think about just saying that? You you don't have to win the argument. You're not going to win the argument. It's okay. It's between, it's not between, you're not in between, right? It's between them and and Jesus. So don't worry about that, you know? I can't understand why there's so much evil in this world. I can't either. Why do you think there is? 
What's going on? What's happening in the Middle East? What happened with slavery? Why can't we, you know, why is there sex trafficking? What is going on? Help me understand. I'm a Christian. I don't understand it. Honor them, right? Do you see what I'm saying? This is just a conversation. We're reclining at the table, respecting each other, not bringing the gospel bazooka to shoot them down. <laughs> You're wrong. Yeah, they, are, they just asked you, why is there hurt in trouble? If it ever gets to you, you can say, I think it's because we're, there's evil. There's sin. There's, and they might say, yeah. But t- take, take your time. Barbecue again. So I love, <laughs> I love how Matthew does it. It's totally inspiring to me. Totally changed everything about how I thought about inviting people to know Jesus. But I just want to throw out one more thing to you about because I, I, I just could go on forever on these. But the woman at the well, uh, look what she says, what happens with her in John 4 in, in how she invites, because it's different. So the woman leaves her water jar and she went away into her town and she said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can he be the Christ? And they went out of town and they were coming to him. Now, she probably didn't have enough money to have a barbecue. She didn't have a lot of respect in town, probably as well, right? And, and she uses 12 words to change her town. Let me read them to you. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And then she asked a question. Can this be the Christ? She just asked a question. She doesn't know all kinds of theology. She doesn't know what's going to happen with Jesus. She doesn't know all the answers about evolution. You know? She just invites. And she tells what happened in her life. That's it. Neither of these people, the tax collector or the woman at the well, totally different ends of the spectrum, had the uh, credentials, the background to be effective in bringing people and inviting them to know Christ. Neither one of them, but they invited. And they asked questions, and they invited Jesus to be there. She actually sent them to Jesus, right? So, uh, two completely different scenarios, but both of them uh, invited people to know him in their own way. And, and God used it. He's using it today. So we had belief. These people cross this threshold of belief. They invite in their community. And finally, uh, I think one of the most important pieces is that they worship. And we'll have a moment to do this uh, when we have communion to close our service. So you might be thinking in that direction here. But I want to... S- there, there were a couple of situations where the people worship because of what Jesus does in their presence. And in particular, we're going to take a quick snapshot of the Peter and the disciples in the boat because as soon as uh, the water calms and Jesus steps into the boat with Peter, then they say, truly, you're the son of God, and they worship him. The, the thing about worship is, is this. In my mind, my definition of worship is like ingrained from my history. Because I grew up in I grew up in this kind of formal Methodist church. 
And so my childhood sort of dictates my idea of worship. Worship is uncomfortable polyester pants, a shirt that I didn't like, that looked nerdy, and people in robes, and a bunch of formality. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But what I had done was I had said in my mind that worship happens then and when we sing. That's worship. That's when that's happening. Or possibly when we give. And so I I had this idea of worship was in these forms, this way that it was done. Uh, My old uh, boss, he, he said it this way. He said, be careful of drawing, I think I'll put it up here. Yeah, be careful of drawing the conclusion that when I sing, I worship. Or when I give, I worship. Or when I pray, I worship. When I serve, I worship. It's possible to do all these things and never worship. It's cool, with a woman at the well, Jesus describes to her that it's more about the heart than the how. Look at uh, verse 23 with me in chapter 4. He says, an hour is coming, and now is here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Instead of the forms of the temple, it'll be from the heart. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Jesus says it's not about the time or the place. Uh, worship, I like, I like this probably the best. Worship is the occupation of the heart. Worship is the occupation of the heart. So worship can be in any place. At work, it could be in here. It could be having coffee. It could be outside on your bike, on the trail. It could be wherever. Uh, when we come into contact with who Jesus is and we believe, there, there should be a response when we recognize how amazing that is, what he has done for us, that we move to a point where we reflect that to him and worship him. And it may be in song for some of us, some of us can't sing, and we feel like we're failures at worship. Others don't have a lot to give. Others... the list can go on and on where we we feel like we fail because if you're like me, worship happens in kind of one time and place. But Jesus says, no. God's looking for people who worship him in spirit and in truth, from their heart and in truth about who he is. All of these people, these these three or four that we've talked about today, and all the others walked away changed. And I feel I feel like there's uh, the potential with believers to walk away much more changed from interaction with him than we do. And so I just, I want to encourage you, think through any one of these as you walk through the week this week about belief, that, that threshold that you may move across if you haven't. Or if you have, why did you and how did he come to you in an amazing way to draw you to him? And are you, one of the most fun and exciting ways to engage your spiritual life and to grow is to invite people to know him. It is a, it's more fun than an awesome downhill. I am not kidding because when God does something in their life, you will be stoked. It is incredible, an incredible feeling. And you know you didn't have anything to do with it. God did it. It's a better feeling than a lot of fun. And then thirdly, to bring worship to him, to reflect from your heart who he is and what he's done. So let's be that church and individuals of the church as we go out. Um, 
resonate on those things, think about them. Uh, Steve, Andy, if you wouldn't mind grabbing the elements there, I'm going to pray. Lisa, if you'll lead us. Oh, you you did? Lord, thank you for uh, this morning, for a chance to come together with other friends. And whether people are here know you or don't, God, you are a, a good and gracious God. So give us this morning a, an opportunity to be at peace with you, to find joy in you, or to believe, uh, to consider inviting, to uh, know, know the excitement of that, and Father, to uh, even worship you now and as we're quiet for a few moments as Lisa leads us to, uh, to your table. In your son's name, amen.
Thank you. 